Welcome to the Cinematic Void Podcast. Cinematic Void is a cult film series that hosts screenings in the Los Angeles area as well as virtually. I'm your host, Jim Branscombe, and joining me as always is... Hey, it's Nick Vance, Paranoid Futures on Instagram and Letterboxd. You can find Cinematic Void on the World Wide Web at cinematicvoid.com as well as Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, and all major podcast platforms. If you want to support the Void, you can consider joining our Patreon. So what's up, Jim? What's going on, man? Not much. It's, you know... Just getting through the weekend. We've been sticking to our recording schedule, kind of. Kind of. We're two days late, but it's all good. Yeah, I mean, it's it's better than what it's been. You True. Know? I mean, you were busy on Friday, so it was just a little tricky. And plus, we were working on finishing up the episode that's just dropped, the one before this. So, you know, I think we're staying on schedule, and that's what's important. It's It's been nice, and it means that these intro segments won't be as fucking long, theoretically. I say this now, and then two hours later, when you're just like, when are you going to talk about movies? We might never talk about movies, but speaking of not talking about movies, you and I went to a show last night. Yes, we did. We saw the Rough Kids at Monty's uh, for their record release show, uh, which I, I sang on the record. I have, I'll mention that. I, uh, I did backup vocals on their last two LPs, and uh, and I think they came out really sweet. So um, it's on Dirt Cult Records, and yeah dropped i guess it's been out a few weeks uh but the lp release show was last night nice and they're if you got what would you call it like kind of 70s inspired punk yeah they're incredible live it's just we were talking about a little bit like on our uber ride home when we were not trying to talk to the uber driver that was driving us back who you, you the the worst thing you can ever see in your uber app is like this uber driver is known for good conversation yeah i mean i guess they all strive for that huh it's pretty it sucks if it's like this Uber driver will just acknowledge your existence and not say a fucking word to you, that that that's right. That that's what I prefer. But either way, we were but we were talking. Basically, there's like certain bands that operate on a higher level, and like Rough Kids, just like I, they're just all in sync. They're like, it's you know, it's like I, on any level, it's great to see a band just like at their peak, yeah, and just absolutely absolutely fucking crushing a room. It was fucking amazing so if you if you like that kind of music definitely check it out uh besides that you know i've been been kind of taking it easy working on stuff had been going through mayhem or mayhem as it were yeah and i'm gonna do a little back padding here just because uh sold out for the five mondays in may the only one that didn't sell out was the mechanic which we kind of talked about that on the pot that episode we were like talking about the lineup it was like yeah, I don't think that one's going to do sell out, but it, it did respectable. But everything else sold out. I was really pleased. Like we, you know, a couple weeks ago did Detroit Rock City, which that was great screening, great Q and A with Adam Rifkin, Lynn Shea, and um Tim Sullivan. A lot of fun. Crowd loved it. Following week, which is this past Monday, showed Full Contact, the Ringo Lam movie, which I've been singing the praises of for a while, and I was like, that's my favorite thing I'm showing this month, and it sold out the day of the show. And, you know, despite the fact that it was an English dub, which is just okay, you know. And despite the fact that the title card said Hard Boiled 2. Oh, yeah, I heard about that. That's rad. Yeah, I didn't know. <laughs> the I forget. I think it was Jared. or yeah. was, it, was it Jared or Sam? I can't remember who Jer- was. Jared told me about it, so I think it was Jared. Yeah, it was Jared. It. He was like, hey, man, just so you know, the title card says Hard Boiled 2. And I was like, that's interesting. But yeah. the movie was produced by Golden Princess in Hong Kong, who also made Hard Boiled. And pro- I'm guessing this print probably existed to play in the UK, because this was made when 
Great Britain had control, like, actually, it, Hong Kong was under British rule for, like, a certain period of time until China got it back. And they probably struck a print, an uh, English dub print, the play in, you know, England. And they probably just did the old exploitation trick of, like, retitling the movie to cash in on something that was already successful. So, Hard Boiled was, you know, big fucking hit everywhere. And this movie starred two actors from Hard Boiled. So, I, I guess that's why it's Hard Boiled 2. I've never, I've never heard of this movie being called Hard Boiled 2 at any point, though. That's awesome. But the, the movie played incredibly well. And, like, you know, the, there was, like, lots of cheering, especially at the end. I'm not going to say what the ending is because I don't want to spoil it. But, like, it was great to watch that with the crowd. Like, really, really fucking sick. And I guess what we're doing in this episode, we're, we've been, you know, kind of peppering and talking about how May's been doing. We're going to talk about what's coming up in June. Got a couple things. We're going to be participating in Bleak Week again at the American Cinematheque. It's Bleak Week Year 2. And decided not to do Camp Void this year. I, I thought about it, and it's like, I had a lineup of, like, kind of summer camp type stuff, and I was, wasn't was really feel, feeling it. And then I got an offer to do something, so I was like, okay, maybe I can do Camp Void Italian style. And then one of the movies had to drop out. And I was like, well, it's not really... I couldn't find enough connective tissue to, like, even justify putting Camp Void on there. So yeah. what I decided to do for June and July is what I'm calling Summertime Slaughter. So we're going to talk about part one, which is the June portion of this lineup on this episode of the podcast. And, you know, why don't we just kind of take a break and then let's let's talk lineup here on the Cinematic Void Podcast. You paid $85 for those sunglasses? Throw them away. They could actually be damaging your eyes. Introducing AmberVision, the most amazing breakthrough in vision technology since glasses were invented. These super glasses actually improve vision. Indoors, outdoors, day or night, we guarantee it. Everything is so much crisper and clearer. I just can't believe it. The secret? AmberVision blocks the blurring blue rays. The same rays that cause haze and fog. Only rays that focus clearly can penetrate. This is different. I really, oh, I like these. AmberVision blocks harmful ultraviolet rays. The primary cause of eye disease, including cataracts and retinitis. Look, ordinary sunglasses cause pupils to open wider, allowing even higher levels of ultraviolet light into your eyes. But AmberVision blocks 100% of the ultraviolet light with UV 400, the best protection for your eyes. The lenses are constructed of durable CR39. The high fashion frames adjust for a perfect fit. Your eyes need protection all year round. Wear them at the beach or for boating, golfing, skiing. Keep an extra pair in your car. This high-tech catalog is offering similar glasses for $59.95. But now you can order AmberVision for just $10 on this special offer. I can't believe my own eyes. They're amazing. Seeing is believing. We urge you to try AmberVision for 30 days. If you don't agree these are the best glasses you've ever owned, just return them for a full money-back refund, no questions asked. So throw away those expensive goggles. It's not worth damaging your eyes. Invest in AmberVision and see for yourself. AmberVision is also available in Clip-On. To order by credit card, call toll-free 1-800-556-8800. That's 1-800-556-8800. Or send just $10 plus $250 shipping and handling to AmberVision, Box 500-U, Verona, New Jersey, 07044. That's AmberVision, Box 500-U, Verona, New Jersey, 07044. Please specify glasses or clip-ons. Welcome back. We are talking about the June lineup here on the Cinematic Void Podcast. And what I mean by that is all the movies we'll be showing at the Lost Fields 3 coming up for 
you guessed it, the month of June. Up first, before we get into the actual monthly theme, uh, we have a little, I guess, a little pit stop, little break, or however you want to say it. We're, you know, participating in the American Cinematex Bleak Week again. And for this year's pick, I'd say it's bleak. Would you agree? Of course. It's pretty miserable. Oh, yeah. And I'd say, it, it, it. you know, we've talked about movies that smash your moral compass. And this one will fucking obliterate it. And we are talking about 1986 in a glass cage. Now, when we were booking the film, like, the distributor, ACFA, that handles through um, cult epics, like, they just, they're the one, they're the theatrical booker for cult epics. They didn't have any real blurbs for this movie. It was all, like quote pull quotes from reviews like one of the most harrowing like you know art horror films ever like that kind of shit sure there was no plot description yeah so i had to write one nice nice and i also had to write it for the bigger bleak week pamphlet that will be coming out like they did last year where like a bunch of people wrote stuff so i had to write on i don't say in depth but like a 150 170 words on this movie cool so for those of you who are uninitiated what this movie's about it's a fucking doozy Basically, a former Nazi child killer is confined in an iron lung inside of an old mansion after he tries to kill himself when he gets found out. Yeah, so Nazi child killing pedophile in an iron lung. Are already the premise of a movie that like, could you see someone pitching that to a Hollywood executive? Hear me out. It's a Nazi child killer. He tried to kill himself. Now he's an iron lung. You think anyone green lights that? They should. It's fucking awesome. Yeah. It's great. So, but that's not just all. If that was a movie about a Nazi and an iron lung, it would be pretty, you know, soul-crushing in a lot of ways. Here's the other part of this movie. So, his wife hires a full-time caregiver who's this mysterious young man who, as they, you know, he's kind of working there, kind of find out he's a kind of a shit caregiver. And what it turns out to be is that he's one of the former victims of this Nazi pedophile who's now an iron lung, who, in a weird flip of, like, Stockholm Syndrome, decides he wants to become the new torturer. He wants to become a child killer because all his trauma has fucked him up and he wants to learn from this fucking, like, horrible piece of shit that's in the iron lung. Yeah. That is the movie. This is, I think, the way I described it. And my like notes is that there's a thin line between art house and exploitation sometimes. And this movie just kind of smears it all around and it's just a fucking blur. It's, I can't, it's not a fun movie. No. And I know there's a lot of bleak movies because it's bleak week. I think this is actually the bleakest of the bleak. I can't, I, I honestly, I haven't, I haven't committed the whole list to memory yet, but it's a, it's a great list. It's, it's a ton of great stuff. I mean, stuff uh, there's, a, a, there's a ton of fucking like just, Mm-hmm. take your soul and fucking punch it in the balls type of movies in this. Hell yeah. But this one is just like, it's, it'll definitely take something from you. Yeah. And it's like, I'm looking forward to and nervous about rewatching it because I've never seen it in a theater. Yeah, right on. I saw it on bootleg v- VHS back in the day. I have like, I think I had the old DVD of it. I never had it on Blu-ray. It's just one of those things where it's just like, I could upgrade. Mm-hmm. 
Netflix. I, think I probably watched it a year and a half, two years ago, and I I remember in, enjoying it tremendously. Yeah, it, you know, it's definitely it's definitely my kind of film. Oh, it definitely <laughs> is. It, the, it, it's the kind of movie that I I always kind of joke, but there's certain movies that I've watched that I feel like will actually take years off my life. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. This there, is kind there, of there's the ones that I purchase, and that's when you tell me. Yeah, yeah. It, there's that the <laughs> the other one that comes to mind like this one and it's not even tonally the same as fucking happiness oh for sure yeah not not at all there's just something about happiness where just like when you go through it because of how manipulative and like at times evil the movie is in certain contexts yeah same with this one it you know there's no one you can really root for yeah it invokes sympathy in the torturer and torturee and then when it flips it's just like there's just you know again your moral compass is fucking to dust by the end of this yeah it's it's, it's a journey so that that's the cinematic void pick for bleak week and selling well cool i'm going to be curious to see how people walk out of that movie when the credits roll oh yeah when, where's that print coming from it is coming from agfa oh right you said yeah. that already but i think it's a uh, cult but they're sending a print huh they're sending a print um, I think they're finally getting like they had a hold on sending out their theatrical prints they have. So oh, I guess they did. I kind of forgot about that because it's been so long yeah. since we uh, we got something from them that way. Yeah. You know, so I get a lot of DCPs from Agfa. Yeah, it's it, they they've been like they've been kind of restructuring and retraining people like the do print handling and oh, stuff right. like totally. So I I I I don't know if they're you know that's changed now or it's just the special circumstances that we got this print because of Bleak Week. Mm-hmm. Now. I do want to mention there was another film I wanted to show for Bleak Week, and it was going to happen. And unfortunately, the um, the, the film print that we had was missing a reel, and that was another Hong Kong movie starring Simon Yam, okay. who was also you know in full contact. Is Run and Kill, directed by Billy Tang, who also did Doctor Lamb and Red to Kill, and like you know, I. I sent it, I gave a copy to Chris Lemaire, who's one of the Cinetech programmers and kind of like the architect of Bleak Week. And I was like, here, check this out. And he's like, yeah, we should play this. And it was all set and then like print missing a reel. And there's a restoration that's coming out for that movie, but it wasn't going to be ready in time. So it's like, yeah, but I think I might still do that at some point. Maybe, maybe next year for Bleak Week. So that is going to be on Monday, June 5th, skipping a week and going to June 12th. We're going to be showing something a little more upbeat. I think it is a movie that's actually distributed by trauma. But for this circumstance, we are working with our friends at seven films who are doing a 4k restoration of this movie. And not only that, they are presenting the film for the first time fully uncut since 1982. Like there was some added gore footage that has not been seen since 1982. Oh, wow. And you know, this is the third time. A lot of people don't realize that people forget about star crash, but this is the third time that, Joe Spinell and Carolyn Moreau, who were in, obviously a maniac together, which was the second time. This is their third team up, and it's a movie called The Last Horror Film, a.k.a. The Fanatic. The Cat Film Festival, where the rich and famous go to have a good time. She caught me looking at her, she was looking at me. The Last Horror Film. Unfortunately for Jenna, 
an obsessed fanatic is also there to have a good time. The last horror film. What began as an international film premiere ended in a nightmare. The last horror film. It may be the last horror film you ever see. Now, not to be confused with the fanatic starring John Travolta and directed by Fred Durst, but, Mm -hmm. you know, definitely share some stuff. So... This basically this movie is about a New York taxi driver, obviously Spinell, stalking a beautiful actress who is Moreau while she's attending the Cannes Film Festival, which is actually happening now as we're recording. And what happens is he's trying to get her to be in his movie, and then when she kind of rejects and sidesteps, all the people that are around her at this festival start disappearing. Is he killing them? Who knows? You have to see the movie. This was actually shot at the Cannes Film Festival in like 81 or 82, whatever they actually shot it. But it was shot without permits. They were just running around shooting shit. Oh, wild. Yeah, so that that's a little crazy little kink to this. It's directed by David Winters. Who, who, did, who did Thrashing, of all things. Yeah, he did Thrashing. He has a weird fucking filmography. He's one of the stars of West Side Story. And he also directed, like, you know, Thrashing. And but he also did Space Mutiny, which is one of the most infamous like mystery science theater movies. It's where they just like one of the lead characters, like a beefy guy, and they're like Chess Rockwell, and like just come over like a bunch of fucking things talking about this guy. And he did another movie which I've seen, which is just absurd. It's called um, Dancing. It's on like one of those like kind of dance movies, but it's like I think it's shot in Florida. It's just re- I saw it on Riff Track, so it's you already guess where the quality is but this one's actually a pretty good movie spinel who spinel can't give a bad role he's great in everything maniac cruising even his little bit parts in the godfather taxi driver like one of the greatest character actors that ever lived and you know you give him it i think this was the last time he had a starring role outside of the maniac 2 that buddy giovanzo did a they did a little short like to try to get money for but like that wasn't public to see. But this was like the last feature film, like he would like star vehicle for him. Cool. And again, 4K restoration, fully uncut, hadn't been seen since 1982. And, you know, always a pleasure to be partnered up with Severn Films. Speaking of which, for the next week, which is June 19th, we will be partnering up with Severn Films again for another feel good movie, I would say. Have you seen this one? House on the Edge of the Park? Yes. I have not. Well,. If you thought Cannibal Holocaust was a fucking soul-crushing kind of like, you know, punching the balls. I, you know, I didn't. I didn't. I you just did? thought it was a fucking masterpiece. Yeah. I, I didn't really. I Honestly, nah, not very soul-crushing. I thought it was just like, holy fuck. I, I expected it to just be a, a rough piece of shit, I think. I, I don't know why that was my expectation. So I was just kind of blown away at how, well, how nicely done it was. Well, no. I, <laughs> Believe it or not. I don't know. Anyway. But but yeah. At, is, that, is that a crazy opinion? No, it's not, it's, actually. It's not soul-crushing. It's actually just really well made. Well, that, that that's the <laughs> point. I'm get, bigger point I'm getting at. So okay. it's, it's directed by Ruggiero Diodato, who, you know, yeah. obviously did Cannibal Holocaust. Hell yeah. As we're talking about. And it stars David Hess. Yes, that David Hess, who wrote songs for Elvis, but probably is best known for being the star of Last House on the Left. Oh, wow. Also has Giovanni Lombardo Radice, a.k.a. John Morgan, who we're doing a mini-tribute in June, July for. He just passed away. He's probably best known as the guy who gets the power, industrial power drill in his head in Lucio Fulci's Gates of Hell. Nice. One of the 
you know, kind of great mainstays of Italian exploitation cinema. Also has Christian Bromomio, who we talked about because we did in our episode about Tenebrae. He's the guy in the car that gets fucking strangled out. Oh, cool. And Annie Bell's in it, who is in Absurd and Black Emanuel, White Emanuel, as well as Lips of Blood, which is a John Rowland nudie vampire art house thing. Cool. As John Rowland does. Brigitte Petrino, who is in A Manual Around the World, and The Cynic, The Rat, and The Fist, which is a really great Eurocrime movie directed by Umberto Lindsay. So, for those of you who have not seen House on the Edge of the Park, two low-life punks invite themselves to a party at a posh villa, and after being taunted by their snobbish host, hold everyone hostage and subject them to various forms of torture and mayhem. Now, I when we're talking about Cannibal Holocaust and its notoriety, like, when Diodato made Cannibal Holocaust, he knew there was going to be some flack and some trouble coming from it. Mm-hmm. So he took a job, like, right away because he was afraid he wasn't going to work. Okay. Once Cannibal Holocaust came out. And in a lot of ways, you know, Cannibal Holocaust, like, you know, obviously the animal cruelty is the 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 divider on that movie. Yeah. But it, I will stand by that it is one of the, it's a well-made movie. It's well-directed. Yeah. It's well, it's just a fucking, it's a masterpiece. See, I thought it was. I I was under the impression that it was just a vehicle for those for those violent acts. No, no, no. But it's no. not at all. No, 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 no. They're, it's a film. It, it's a film. It's because the the reason why the animal stuff in Campbell Holocaust kind of gets elevated because it's really cruel. Yeah. And it didn't have to be there. Like sure. They, and obviously he was doing it to make a social commentary. But there's times where your social commentary defeats the purpose of your social commentary, which is definitely what happens with that stuff. Not according to me. Of course not. You're a fucking heartless bastard. But like, <laughs> but the the thing is, in a way, he did not. Diodato did not take like a you know a soft like he could have done anything a follow up Campbell Holocaust and like maybe like done something that wasn't as brutal. Yeah. In many ways, minus the animal cruelty, this movie is fucking meaner, more brutal, and nastier than Cannibal Holocaust. Okay, it is fucking just. It is a nasty movie. It has social... Com- it's like Hang on the Holocaust. There's a social commentary on classism. Rich versus poor. That kind of thing. Which also gets undermined by... It's just a fucking... It's nasty. It's definitely... You know... If you've seen Last House on the Left, you kind of get an idea of what's going to be happening in this movie. Okay. It is like, you know... It is not... I mean, it's it's a very it's sleazy fun, but no, it's also harrowing at the same time. Yeah. And like David Hess, just fucking, the man is just on a hundred. Yeah. He is a fucking sleazoid tour de force. Like, there's no other way to put it. And John Morgan gives it like a pretty, you know, kind of weird, understated, but like kind of like sweet, like performance in it. Which really counterbalances just how fucking like hard Hess goes in this movie. Um, I had the Cinematheque just put a, like a trigger warning on the thing, mostly to cover my ass because like I don't want someone like oh you know this is a fun like exploitation movie. It's like no, it it opens with a pretty lengthy and like very dehumanizing rape. So and like it and that just sets the tone for the rest of the movie. It is just. You know, there's social commentary. It is saying something, but kind of like Cannibal Holocaust is like the message is muddle. Yeah. 
And but I do think it's like for like pure just nasty like in the kind of vein of like Last House and like all the kind of knockoffs and like you know retreads that came out. This is the only one that probably gets to that level and probably goes past it. It is, you know, it could easily have been part of Bleak Week in a way. Okay. And it does have, like, I guess kind of a heroic resolution in the end, but not really. It's just, I don't know. It's, I feel like I'm not selling it for people to see, but, like, if you are if you know what it is and you want to be pushed by, like, you know, this is a hardcore exploitation movie. This is, like, the definitely dark side of it. This is where the sleaze is pushed to, like, a million Mm-hmm. You know, it's, you know, if you're, if you can watch those kind of movies, it is top tier. Cause again, like Cannibal Holocaust, it's expertly directed. There's a great soundtrack by Rizwar Alani, who also did Cannibal Holocaust. It, although it's kind of a disco soundtrack, which is kind of weird for like, what year did this come out? 80. So a little late for disco, but it's a catchy soundtrack for a really sleazy and brutal movie. Now, closing out the month of June, we're going to, it's sleazy too, but not to the extent that this, you know, House on the Edge of Park is. It also stars John Morgan, aka Giovanni Lombardo Radice, but it also has, you know, John Remain's favorite John Saxon's in it. And guess what? He's not playing a cop. So, of course, we're talking about 1980s Cannibal Apocalypse. Directed by Antonio Margariti, who, you know, gets a shout out in Glorious Bastards, obviously. He's one of the fake names they give out. Like, long mainstay, you know, Italian genre filmmaker. This was the first movie of his I've seen. I, I got a copy of this off of Bruce Holacek back in the day because he had a VHS bootleg that I duped. Mm-hmm. And basically, for those of you who haven't seen it, you know, it's a, a mentally unstable Vietnam vet who has been, or a not just vet, multiple vets who were held captive by the Viet Cong. So you also have the Vietnam angle coming in there. Come back to America, but it turns out they have some kind of cannibal virus. So when they bite people, they turn them to cannibals. So kind of like that contagion kind of movie, but like not on a level like something like Nightmare City where like they all have shit on their face and they're running around being crazy. But it's just like they can weave in and out of like the human population undetected until they decide to like bite someone. Right on. Um, the movie was co-written by Dardano Scaghetti, who's best known for, you know, co-writing a ton of the Fulci movies. He also wrote Demons 1 and 2 and, you know, 
great genre pedigree or Italian genre pedigree, I should say. We're going to be showing like a 35 millimeter print, which is under the title uh, Invasion of the Flesh Hunters. Movies also known as Cannibal in the Streets. And I know for just us, our old band Inspite actually did a song about this movie, or at least the title of the movie, or the Cannibal in the Streets title. I just think of Jason Culler uh, because there's vocals that switch off between different members of the band. And I just, I'll, I'll always just have the Jason Culler version of Cannibals in the Streets in my head. Yeah. Cause like, I think it's me, then you, then me again, and he closes it out. All of us just saying Cannibal in the Streets. It was fun times. In he, sh- he should have sang for a band. Jason Culler, you should have sang for a band. Yeah. He, he had a really good hardcore voice. So, but, you know, it's. It's it's a fun genre romp. I would say like it's it's sleazy, it's mean at times, but it's a fun movie. Which, you know, two out of the four movies in June are fun. The other two are gonna make you question who you are as a person. Yeah. But that's cinematic void. We we can do it both ways. We can have a rousing good like time watching exploitation movie, or we can make you feel like shit when you go home and then have to take a long hot shower where you're just scrubbing your skin off with your dial. So that's how we do it. So that's the lineup for June. Uh, hit us up on social media. Tell us, tell us what you think about it. Tell us that you, you know, I did see when I when we announced in a glass cage, someone posted on there about like the one of the people in the movie. I think the main actor is like, oh, he's super hot in this movie, and it's just like, man, please don't come to the screening. Hell yeah, respect. Yeah, <laughs> I knew you would say that. Yeah, I, I, I'm going to be curious about in the glass cage crowd. I know who I'm getting for like House on the Edge of Park. There's going to be the people that come out anytime I do anything remotely sleazy or like any of the Severn stuff. That's going to be the audience for it. In a glass cage, I don't know who the fuck's coming out for it. Yeah, I'm coming out horny for all four. <sighs> Just raging. But we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, it'll be read, watch, and listen here on the Cinematic Void Podcast. Who's that? The life of the party, that's who. Dead's a super party animal. His name is Buds McKenzie. When the sun shines bright on a cold but night, he's in the party frenzy. He's Buds McKenzie, the posh pooch of pop culture. Goes, buzz, go. Welcome back. It's now time for On the Cinematic Void Podcast, where we talk about all the things we've been reading, watching, and or listening to since the last time we recorded a podcast. So, Nick, why don't you tell us what you've been reading, watching, and or listening to? And or. Um, Let's see. Watch. Uh, I haven't had a lot. It's been been a busy-ass week, man. Um, what have I watched? Oh yeah, I just uh I just saw uh Xavier Dolan's first film, I Killed My Mother. Uh the Cinematech screened it on Mother's Day. They did a bunch of like they did like Serial Mom, they did a bunch of shit. And the mummy. The mummy. Oh, I didn't even realize that was on Mother's Day. Yeah. Was, no. If you know Grant, that's a pun. Yeah, that's God. I just <laughs> thought that was like part of like the Avengers or something. No, no. It, <laughs> it is Mother's mummy, Day. Mummy, god damn it. Uh <laughs> 
but yeah, I just saw I Killed My Mother by Xavier Dolan, and he made it when he was 20, and he's the fucking star of the film. And it's fucking so goddamn good, dude. And uh, I, I've probably talked before about his film called Mommy, which I absolutely fucking love. Um, but so this guy clearly has some fucking mommy issues. Yeah, so I Killed My Mother. I mean, holy fuck, man. This, this movie... I mean, this movie fucked me up, dude. This made me. This movie did like made me think about shit, like even my own relationship with my mom. You know, it just like made me think of shit that I just haven't even thought. Like, man, it fucked me up. This is a great. Uh, this guy's great, dude. Xavier Dolan is a fucking is a master. So highly, highly recommended. Uh, no matter what your your relationship with your mother is like, you know, mine's overall pretty good. But man, it really, it really made me. It reminded me of some shit some dumb shit i've done in my life some bad you know what i mean i was kind of a bad kid sometimes like the the stress that i put my mom through you know (laughs) i kind of i've kind of forgotten as our relationship got better as i got older you know i just like it reminds me both of those films remind me of like man sorry mom (laughs) (laughs) you know Uh, hang tight one second uh for listen uh there's a new fucking no pressure song out there's a new outer heaven song out there's a new Blur song that just came out. There's a new Koyo song that just came out. There's a ton of shit uh, that just dropped that's sick. Um, new EP by Lockstep called Arrival. I don't even know where they're from, but I think it's something you dig. It's kind of like that kind of like heavy like hum or something, but like slower like Codeine. Is it the? Does it have the cover of like someone like kind of biting someone's lip or something like that? They do have that is the cover of one of their records, but that's not the new thing. Oh, they have they have something else. The new, new thing that came out yesterday. Oh, okay, yeah, came out Friday. Oh shit, I hadn't seen um, that yet. I, I've been listening to that other record. Cool that EP. Yeah, I thought that's good. So yeah, I'll, I'll definitely have to check that out. They're sick. And uh, Cam that just did the cover art for my new record that's coming out uh, did the the lockstep cover art. Nice. And uh, did all their shirts and shit, and it looks looks amazing. So, um. Yeah, I've been listening to a ton of new shit. A um, ton of great new songs have come out this week, so fuck yeah. That's it for me, man. How about you? Um, well, read. I ain't been reading shit. I, eventually, there'll be an episode where I've read something. There you go. But, you know, it's just, you know, something to work towards. Some, some, you know, something to actually pick up one of the many books that I have on my bookshelf and say, you know what? I am going to read, goddammit. But not this week. Uh, watch, again, a bunch of virtual date nights with my girlfriend. We watched Poison for the Fairies, which is a Mexican horror movie. It's on Shudder. It's all, I think Vinegar Syndrome also put it out in some Mexican gothic horror like kind of box set. It's uh, actually from the mid-'80s. It's about, like, two little girls, one who wants to be a witch. And, like, it's kind of a cool little, like, flip on witchcraft stuff. And then it has, like, this ultimate, like hard fucking left turn of an ending that just like love it yeah that was cool we also watched also on shutter and soon the darkness it was directed by robert foost who um also directed um bobbinal dr fives and devil's rain stuff i think it was like one of his earlier movies it's about two girls from england who are like bike riding across france and then one of them like decides there's like oh i want to take a break and just hangs out like this kind of near a wooded area off the road and disappears. Okay. So it come it becomes like a little bit like the vanishing in a way, but then it's just like also kind of like is everyone in the town in on this stuff cuz then you find out as you're watching the movie that there had been a murder of a similar looking like kind of blonde young girl and stuff. It's like really well done. Uh, sounds incredible. So yeah, definitely worth checking out like Right on. Been doing pretty good. Um also her and I have been 
you know, kicking through the Peter Strickland filmography. Saw the um, his new one, I guess, last time we did an episode, but basically went back and watched Barbarian Sound Studio and the Duke of Burgundy. Cool. I don't know if you've seen any of those. No, they've been on the list. Peter Strickland's an interesting filmmaker. Like, I think visually, he's one of the, film, one of the few filmmakers now that makes his movies look fucking great. And does really cool creative stuff with it. Like, Barbarian Sound Studio, I saw it like years ago originally when it was like on Netflix. Because I think IFC Midnights or whatever put it out. And it's like, it's got, you know, it's about a guy that like gets flown to Italy who's a sound designer to work on some Italian horror film. And then like, it just gets weird. He's like starting to become into the movie. Because you don't actually really see anything of the movie being made. You just see him make, like working on the sounds and stuff like that. It's really well done, really haunting, really, I don't know, it's just an incredible fucking movie. Like, it was one of my favorites when I saw it, and, like, revisiting it, it's, like, it's fucking still good. Duke of Burgundy is about two women that kind of live together and have, like, a kinky kind of relationship of, like, you know, sadomasochism and stuff like that. And, like, kind of push the limits where, like, one wants more and more to be, the, it's weird, the dominated, the dominant one wants to be dominated. Yeah. And, like, it's really good. And if you're wondering what the title Duke of Burgundy has to do with, it's actually a butterfly. Because there's tons of butterfly stuff in that movie, too. Okay. It's it's definitely, it's, I don't want to say erotic. It's not really erotic thriller. It's definitely, like, erotic. But it's not, like, graphic in any way of the sense. It's very it's very artsy. Okay. In a really good way. Um, we, We're going to eventually get to In Fabric, which was, I think, the movie he did with A24 or whatever. And I think the only streaming platform it's on is, like, Showtime. Because that's where... I think A24 has their deal right now. Okay. Don't have Showtime, but I don't know. But I would like to revisit in Fabric. But, like, I actually posted on Instagram the other day. I was like, hey, been kind of on this Peter Strickland kick. Would anyone want to, you know, if I did, like, a little mini tribute series? And people were like, yes, please. So maybe coming to a void screen near you. Cool. Some Peter Strickland movies. I actually would like to do that because, like, I don't really do months of just a filmmaker. I did Jonathan Kaplan, like, last year. And I think... I, I think I would do it again just because it's just like it's a kind of a newer filmmaker but it's a newer filmmaker I really love hell yeah so maybe that also on my own because um, I didn't think Leslie would want to watch it I watched Air which is the story of like you know guys working at Nike making the Air Jordan shoe you know Ben Affleck directed it also mm-hmm. stars in it there's um, Matt Damon of course and um, Chris Tucker there's a you know has Viola Davis she plays Michael Jordan's mom you know Jason Bateman's and it. it's a fucking stack clap like cast it's like it reminded me of like a newsroom type of movie like you know all the president's men or zodiac except it's just mm-hmm. about like dudes trying to like how we can get michael jordan to fucking like come to nike because like it's it, it does make a multinational corporation as an underdog but like yeah. i guess in the 80s nike was just kind of looked at as just a running shoe mm. and i never in converse was like the big like basketball shoe at the time yeah which like you you don't think about that now just you know how it's not break your damn ankle in those converse <laughs> yeah I couldn't imagine balling in fucking converse but like but it, it's really interesting because it's like Nike basically had to like they did things that like they never did with another like you know sports player that they were working with they like gave Jordan a percentage of the shoe sales and that's how they got them and just it worked they all became billionaires essentially it's it you know. Despite it being a sports movie and a movie about shoes and, like, you know, it's really well done. You know, I think Ben Affleck is a, I don't want to say he's underrated as a director because he's generally good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, like, you know, for what it is, it's, like, it was an entertaining, enjoyable movie. Mm -hmm. 
and like I really you know there's barely anything that hits like streaming like that I go out of my way it's like oh this is gonna be sick it's like this was just like wow solid cool and I think it I think it came out on it's on Amazon Prime but I think they actually had a theatrical run and it did pretty well because yeah. they're like because I think Amazon's like you know what we should do a theatrical run on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was it it was at uh, LF three for the, at, at Vintage Cinema for for a week or two. Yeah, so I don't know. I enjoyed it. So I know I know like a BlackBerry movie just came out. Like there's a couple of those types of like a, a whole film about a, a brand or whatever. Yeah, you know, I know it's kind it, of, kind of a strange new thing that's happening in film. Well, you know, it's I, I know there's been other ones that came out like it's just like you know there was an Uber movie and shit. was there an Uber movie? There was an Uber movie. Yeah. And, but this one I actually cared about because, like, you know, growing up in the 80s and 90s when, mm-hmm. like, Air Jordans were, like, that yeah. was the shit. Yeah. It's, like, it. it's something that, like, you know, I mean, weird way, there's, like, an innocence to it. Mm-hmm. And, again, it's just not, you know, obviously, who gives a fuck about a billion-dollar shoe company? But, like, you know, you could, there was people that had to bust their ass to, like, you know, for their livelihood. Like, they're, like, if this doesn't work out, they lose their job. So, like, there's a humanist angle to it. But, you know. Again, it, it worked pretty good for, like, basically a movie that was about, like, a company that was already making millions of dollars starting to make billions of dollars. Yeah. But I enjoyed it. I think Converse are owned by Nike now anyway. Damn. Full go. circle. <laughs> uh, and the last thing I watched, I actually watched it yesterday. I got my package from um, Cauldron and um, their new little sub-label called Neon Eagle. It's a Taiwanese rape revenge movie called kill butterfly kill and you know i enjoyed it there's some psychedelic imagery in it like the the rape the rape part of the rape revenge is you know front loaded and then it's like this the girl like basically meets up with a hitman they work together to fucking take out all these rapists and like i think you know sometimes rape revenge they don't work because it doesn't hit a satisfactory conclusion but like this one does a really good job plus like the weird psychedelic stuff in it it's really entertaining and i'll be you know Kind of excited to see more come from Neon Eagle and, of course, Cauldron in general. As for Listen, you mentioned most of the things I've listened to. That Koyo single, that Outer Heaven single. or It's not single. It's just a song that's on the forthcoming new album. That fucker's six minutes long. Yeah. <laughs> that's like, I I loved Outer Heaven because most of their songs were like two, two and a half minutes. I was like, yeah, it's pretty good for a death metal song. It's like, what is this shit? Fucking six minutes? They're, they're good at what they do, though. They they're, Their particular style of death metal like uh, is... It, it really appeals to me. It's like it's perfect, perfectly technical, but like also just like kind of grimy. Like they, they're 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 the whole package, man. I think that they're one of the sickest newer well, death I, metal bands out but today. But I'm not knocking the song. Oh, I, think I, this, I know yeah. for sure. I'm just I'm just throwing that out there. That like, man, goddamn, I love Outer Heaven. I think they can kind of do no wrong. You're right though. I I, 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 was I prefer a, a short song. I was it, I was in, I, I put the song on. I was like, damn. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of feel like it's two songs as one. So. I mean, I think it's even, you know, it's even like I think that there's the, a slash. Yeah, in there's there. like a backslash in the song title. I think it, yeah. it's it's literally it's a medley or something. Yeah, <laughs> it's like called Rotting Stone slash DMT, and there's definitely some kind of break where you can see one from the other. So maybe two two songs for one, just on the same track. So, but yeah, I I I, I agree with you about Outer Heaven, where like you know, there's a lot of death metal either alone. They're just like there's definitely the ones that kind of lean too heavy into like the sludge aspect because there's mm-hmm. a lot of sludge bands that became death metal there's a lot of hardcore bands became death metal where I, I love about outer heaven is just death metal yeah yeah, yeah. it's it's very authentic and it, and it, 
There's they, not a, a hardcore leaning to it, like no, a lot no, of no. newer stuff. Like they're, they're, it's technical, but not to the point where it's like unlistenable technical. Mm-hmm. Like it's not wanky. Yeah. Like there's solos, and there might be some like the like some of that, but like not to the point where it's just like I don't want to listen to this shit. Yeah. Like it's heavy. It's it's fast. It has slow parts. It's you know, I'm excited for this new album. You know, makes me want to release a death metal record. Hmm. Damn. Yeah. Wonder yeah. about that. All right. <laughs> I I know every time that I even invoke this, it's another year added on here. So a year, two thousand and fifty, <laughs> that mirrored Crip record will finally come out. Uh, the other thing I've been listening to lately, um, I should say I've been after we saw Rough Kids, I start you know going through that discography again. And it's just like shit, you know. It's like it's a band I love a lot, but it's just like. Sometimes you don't think about a band, then you see them live, and then it's just that's all you want to listen to. Yeah. But the other thing, and I've listened to it quite a bit, and um, it's um, Bivioc by Jawbreaker. Oh, nice. I, you know, that was the first Jawbreaker record I heard, and I think I actually bought your CD off of you back in high school. Yeah, it's it's still not my favorite Jawbreaker for sure. Actually, you know what? You know what's not my favorite Jawbreaker is Unfun. I've never understood how pe- some people really champion Unfun, and uh, is and that I, the one with a cat on the cover? Yeah. I like the cat on the cover. No, no tracks. Yeah, no, not a single track. No, no. Actually, I think I I think that Bivouac is now. I I think it's uh I think it's pretty good. I th- I think I like it now. It um, but I still don't love it like I love Dear You or or Twenty Four Hour Revenge. There, it, it's kind of it's their kind of noise rock record in yeah. a way. It's 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 like it's kind of yeah. It's like the the catchy hit like the you know. Jawbreaker can do really poppy, catchy songs. Mm-hmm. It does that record isn't that. There's Chesterfield King, which I think is one of the best Jawbreaker songs ever written. But like, sure. there's some about like, it's it's more like angular and dark. It's dark. It's dark how how Dear You is, except that Dear You kind of has like hits. Yeah. Whereas like this, it's just dark. Yeah, it's I don't know how to explain it, but like I'll get like that first. I can't remember the first song is like there was a sun one like that. Like yeah. <laughs> that will start playing in my head, and then it's like I have to listen to this record. Yeah. I'll listen to it all the way through. It has their like tour song, and that kind of stuff. It's yeah, it, it's not a record. I mean, it's better than Unfun by like a long mile. I mean, you know, Chesterfield King is probably the thing, but it's like the songs are longish. Yeah, it's definitely angular, noise rocky, like. There's just something about it, and it's just like I sometimes when I get in the mood, it's that Jawbreaker record. Any other time, it's like you know, 24 hour revenge therapy, mm-hmm. and like that kind of stuff. Yeah, I saw Jawbreaker five or six years ago, and uh, and it's the first time seeing them. I, I guess I think it was that first tour back after they played like Riot Fest or whatever. You know, like that 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 was their like first show that was like Jawbreaker reunion. You know, mm-hmm. it's a huge deal when it happened. Uh, but yeah, saw them five or six years ago and after, and they were great. And, but something about it made me go like, I, I haven't listened to Jawbreaker a single time. I haven't listened to a single song at, since that show. Now, if you've, have you ever, uh, have you ever had that happen where you go to see oh. a band that you love and then just not even that it ruined it for you just for whatever reason, I just don't put it on anymore. It's like, yeah. that was the, the kind of, uh, you know, that was, that was just like the last thing I needed to see to like close that chapter in my life or something. Yeah. Um, you know? I have two examples and they're kind of different. And one was not even seeing the person live, but it was just like having like kind of a perfect listen. That was like that Deltron 3030 record. Okay. Like years ago, like the record had been out for maybe, I don't know how long that record. I like, the, I like the idea of, and I don't, I don't know what you're getting to say, but like, I like the idea of a perfect listen. 
Well, I it, like that. <laughs> um, our, you know, our mutual friend, Jim DeHave, and I, we went on a road trip. We were driving up to Monroeville to go to the Dawn of the Dead Mall. Yep. That was like the first like kind of adult road trip I did that wasn't like, you know, family related. Him and I just drove there. We stayed at a fucking fucking hotel next to the fucking Monroeville Mall, and that's all we did. Yeah. It's fucking dumb. And like, we're, <laughs> we were under 20. We were under 21. So we had Jess Morgan. Shout out to Jess Morgan. He bought us beer. So we take it up there. And then we got to the hotel and realized we didn't have a bottle opener. So we're like on the air conditioner popping the fucking tops to like nice Corona light or some shit. And then we thought it'd be funny. To have, we had, had a bottle of rum. We was like, we're going to drink rum and fucking Dr. Pepper because like we didn't know better. Yeah. We weren't, we weren't good alcoholics or anything like that. But anyway, like, on our way up there, we put on Deltron 3030. And it was like, we had left early. I don't know why we left early, but the sun was coming up and that wreck, and it just hit. Yeah. It was like, everything was in sync. It was just like, damn, this fucking, this is like a perfect listen. Like it just, the vibe was right. After that, I've never been able to make it through that record all the way through again. Very cool. And like, there's times I'll, th- I don't even think about putting on a song. Mm-hmm. Like it's very rare. Like I'll put something on. Yeah. But it's just like, after like that listen, I was like, yeah, this is, that was just like, it was perfect. I've never had the desire to listen to that record again. Right on. And I don't think it's a bad record or anything sure. like that. It's just like... You think, but do you think maybe like in a good way, putting that record back on will evoke those feeling, like a no. nostalgic feeling for that moment, you know? Well, no, I think that's the other reason because anytime I try to put it on, it's like, yeah, I'm just not feeling it now because like, I guess when you have like a perfect kind of listen, like theoretical thing, like a way a song like, you know, there, there's songs that can get intertwined with like people and mm-hmm. like, you know, there's like, you know, there's a song like you had a kiss with someone with and then like that, whatever reason, that's what that song is associated with. And that things fell out. You can't listen to that song and that kind of stuff. It's kind of, it's like, it wasn't like anything happening other than it's like, ah, this is just like, you know, it just felt like this is cool. And then when I put it on, it's like, yeah, the record's still good, but it just didn't feel the same. Yeah. It felt like whatever the ultimate high you were going to get from that album, listening to it, like whatever biochemical thing that's within you, just like it couldn't be replicated. Yeah. Now, example two, I did eventually listen to this band again. It's when we saw the Misfits in 1996. Because mm-hmm. uh, we saw it with the Michael Graves era because that's all you could get in 1996. Right. There wasn't enough money at Danzig and Jerry only in the same room back then. And we saw Trucadero in Philadelphia. And after that show, I didn't listen to the Misfit for years. Mm-hmm. It just like, it felt, I felt cheated. Yeah. And like there was some, there were some songs that Michael Graves era or whatever, but like, it just didn't feel, you know. We heard they played pretty much every fucking Misfit song ever written, and yeah. then like a couple off that, you know, what was that album called? American. I, I won't give them any credit for that. That record is dog shit. I don't even take your dig up her bones and shove it up your ass. That shit sucks. <laughs> well, All I that mean, shit sucks. Christ the Conqueror sucks. That dude's riffs suck. It well, yeah. sucks. Actually, you know what this reminds me of? And I know we're getting off tan- off topic and going on a tangent here, but it's a valid point about the Misfits. You and I, like a few years ago, we were trying to figure out why the Misfits never worked after that, and it's how they play the songs. It's like, because I think, what, what was we found out? Like, the way, like, all those, you know, Misfits songs from the beginning to, like, Earth AD, it was, like, it was all downstroke. It's all downstroke. It's all Ramones. And then when they tried to make new songs, they tried to write them, like, as... He plays it well. You have to go f- go find the unreleased Christ the Conqueror record. That's the you know the Jerry only, Jerry uh, only and, and Doyle record where yeah, they were it's like their metal band from the eighties, and that's what Famous Monsters and American Psycho sounds like, and that's why they fucking suck. Damn. I mean, 
Yeah. Sure. Catchy, there, there are catchy songs the, that yeah, exist but, on but, those records. But, every, but, you know. But I was I was too, I'm sorry, I was just too old at that point. I couldn't. Yeah, I mean, I I never owned that record. And, like, I know plenty of people had, and people would swear by that record. And, like, I was like, yeah, I guess American Psycho, the song is cool or whatever. And, but it wasn't the Misfits. Yeah. It didn't feel like it because they didn't replicate how. Yeah. I mean, it's not the Misfits. I mean, you know, it's like Morning Noise are cool, but they'll never be the Misfits. Fucking I mean, AFI, never you're not the, mis- the Misfits. Sam. Not even, uh, you know, Son of Sam or whatever. It's like. No. Nah, I know. mean, not even Danzig was the Misfits. Yeah. Fucking A. I mean. You know what, though? My, my, not even a crazy, it's not a crazy opinion. Sam Hain was better than the oh, Misfits. Oh, the 100% cosign. Yeah. Like, uh, there's two things I know we 100% agree on is Sam Hain was better than the Misfits and all is better than the Descendants. Yeah. It's like Danzig's great and all, but I don't particularly even like the blues. It's only good because it's Glenn Danzig singing. I mean, he had a, he, that's the kind of thing about Danzig. It's like he had a hell of a lineup. He had Chuck Biscuits, one of the best punk drummers, if not one of the best, like, hardcore drummers ever. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And you have him playing blues rock. <laughs> I mean, dude, he, like, I know he played in Social Distortion after he, like, Glenn blew up the fucking. I, I, I don't know. I mean, I guess I'm lying, though. It's like, I, I like Black Sabbath. I like The Trouble. It's like, yeah, sure, when it's metal, it's it can be fine. You know? Yeah, but the, the we also had a discussion. I'm I remember all we had some deep musical discussions about the Misfits and talking about Danzig. And doesn't that want the first Danzig record have the same guitar tone as the Cult record that Rick Rubin produced? Yeah, right. It's just the trouble. It's just it's just the Cult. It's I mean it's yeah. all, it's it's also kind of why it's great. You know, yeah. like I mean, fuck, dude, those, those early Cult records are amazing. Oh yeah, I mean, it it just you know. But I guess as we're, you know, hijacking it, sh- it's a shitty guitar tone. Yeah, it's not a good guitar. It's, it's, it's the, but the it's, songs you know, are good. Like 19 fucking 86 or 88 or whatever the hell it is, you know? Yeah, but it's just like, man, it's just a notoriously bad time for recording yeah, but guitars. Then, but, then the, but then the Slayer, like Rain and Blood doesn't sound like that. Yeah, but I mean, I, I guess it's, it. Ha- I mean, that has to be intentional. Of course, it doesn't sound like that. You know what yeah. I mean? Like. Fucking, there's no distortion on those on those Danzig guitars. No, you know. She rides. Yeah, that wraps up this episode of the Cinematic Void Podcast. We've learned a lot about each other today. Until next time, see you in the void. void.